The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 148 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. We have such an amazing conversation for you. Uh, But before we get to that, we do want to thank some new reviewers on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to Tommy G. Mead Jr. for your kind words and your five-star review. We really appreciate it. Also, Kathy Allred Hewlett, thank you for uh, your wonderful words on Facebook. These reviews are just so helpful to help us get to the word out about the amazing guests we have on the show. And this week, that is no exception. My guest, Stacy Eastman, such an incredible man. He's a longtime friend of mine. We haven't seen each other in many years, but what a blessing to reconnect. His story will absolutely blow you away. I do need to put in here uh, that... Uh, Just a little bit of a a warning that some of the things we talk about, while we don't go into any graphic detail, uh, there are some adult themes that are coming up, so parental discretion is advised. Stacy has such an incredible story. I'm so excited for you all to hear it. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'll tell you about a gig that Stacy once booked for me that changed my life for the better forever. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, it is my absolute honor to have a dear old friend of mine for many, many years. We're talking more than 20 years that we've been friends. He is an icon in the modeling industry. And I'm not kidding when I say icon. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Uh, old friends indeed. Um, wow, what an era that was. Yeah, those were wild times. And we'll have some, I think, some good stories. And Stacy, your name has been mentioned lovingly on this show before. And uh, so glad to have you on. Now, normally when we record like we are, we're recording online. Normally I say, I wish you were sitting here, but I genuinely wish I was sitting there with you. Because tell us where you are. Well, that makes two of us, my friend. I wish you were sitting here making me laugh as you always have. Um, and we could be enjoying a coconut throffy drink right now. But I'm sitting in my tree house uh, that I built because I had to keep it like Swiss Family Robinson um, and keep my kids entertained. And so I reduplicated a tree house and uh, with my feet in the sand, sitting at this very second in my home office in Kona, Hawaii, baby. Well, we've got a lot of catching up to do because we have a few years in here that I don't know exactly what happened in your story, but I know it's awesome and you're doing so many amazing things now. But first of all, let's take it way back. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. I grew up, uh, Sean, my friend, kind of like a gypsy. Uh, I've done time in Utah and literally, uh, speaking. And, uh, I've grown up in Colorado. I was originally born in Colorado, uh, Colorado Mm. Springs right there by the air force Academy, no air force brat, but from there 
I've lived all over the western portion part of the United States, uh, San Diego, Oregon, everywhere, and now residing, like I said, in Hawaii. Um, but uh, yeah, That's so awesome. I kind of grew up like a vagabond, like a gypsy. And you were were you raised in the church? I was. Um, I was born in the church, uh, baptized, and raised in the church until I was about fourteen when I had a pretty horrific scenario and situation take place. But that kind of caused me to bail from the church for quite a few years. Yeah. Yeah. How, how many kids are in your family? There's six of us. I'm uh, With me, there's seven. I'm second to oldest. What were you into when you were, uh, when you were a kid? Actually, funny thing you say that. I've never... I mean, of course you reflect on it when you're, when you're older and you're kind of like, this was my thing, but I never thought of it until you just said that. And it was even fashion, believe it or not, uh, back <laughs> I then. It. With back you, then, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, and I remember my earliest experience of fashion was I bought one of those super cool OP t-shirts, Ocean mm-hmm. Pacific and Absolutely. they were like painted and this thing had like a tiger and a surfboard on it. And I remember I rocked that thing uh, to school in fourth grade and I never got so many compliments in my entire life. And at that moment, I knew that fashion speaks really art, fashion and yeah, sports. Um, I had to over excel growing with uh, growing up with the name Stacy. You had to learn to achieve. Yeah, no doubt. And being no a guy, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> I was harassed, man. Every new year, you know, tell us your name and uh, what you did over the summer. And I would sweat bullets going and waiting for oh. it to be my turn and go, hi, I'm Stacy. And all the kids going, that's a girl's <laughs> name. So, yeah, I'm an overachiever. Yeah, that I know you are. That I know about you. But I want to go back to, you know, here you are being raised in this Latter-day Saint family. Uh, talk with, you know, whatever you're comfortable talking about, about this this break at the age of 14. I would say that's a very young age. It's also the age, you know, that uh, another 14-year-old had a big, big moment in his life uh, in Joseph Smith. But, uh, you know, Tell, tell us a little bit about how it felt stepping stepping away from the church at such a young age. Um, at a really early age, I witnessed some pedophilia uh, that was taking place. And wow. yeah, and at a really young age, like seven, I think is my earliest recollection. And not that it was happening to me, but that I was I actually physically witnessed it. And yeah. I, I ended up paying a heavy price for that growing up. Of course. Um, I ended up getting pretty severely beat. This was a member within our family lineage. And and I ended up paying a pretty heavy price for that and got kind of, well, not, not kind of. Let's just take the gloves off. I mean, I literally got physically beat down at seven Eight, nine, ten. So was that, was that as a threat to like if you tell anybody? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. you were you were actually physically punished to not tell anybody. So it's bad enough that you have to witness this horrific act, and then you get physically beaten over it. Stacy, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I mean, 
kicks to the side, bloody noses. And I'm talking just as a little tyke. So it was pretty uh, devastating. Uh, And as weird as this might sound, the physical pain um, wasn't as bad as what it is that I had witnessed. Yeah. Uh, You know, believe that how they say, you know, porn is stronger than cocaine or stronger than heroin. I mean, you can't get it out of your, your system as you can pass drugs. You can't get porn out of your head. Oh, Stacy, I'm just heartbroken for you. Heartbroken for seven year old you. Like, I mean, I'm just really, this is gutting. So So it, it was pretty difficult. Uh, I ended up turning away from God and, you know, not, you know, having too many good examples of supposedly supposed to being hardcore LDS, but yet all these other things happening and all these other things going on. But my grandmother and my mom are my two heroes, and they instilled in me, you know, a way to be able to forgive, a way to be able to forget, to look at things a little bit differently. And, uh, so I always, there was always this glimmer of hope, you know, that God was real, that God's true. And, you know, whatever religion it is that, that is that, you know, yeah. that I might find it again one day, even though blessing. I turned my back on God and I turned my back on the LDS church and all of that stuff. Yeah. You finish out your teen years, you're discovering all the, all the fashions, getting more into it throughout high school. After, after high school, what came next? So after high school, um, I ended up deciding because I really accelerated in the art programs in high school and, and I cleaved in particular, my medium was photography Mm. and I loved the camera and it was a way for me to be able to express and be able to artistically, you know, say what I was trying to say. Uh, I also had an extreme passion for architecture. So I thought in the beginning, you know, I was going to go and end up being an architectural photographer and shooting these amazing structures and buildings and all over Rome and the world. And that was kind of my my dream. And that was kind of my my thing. So I ended up going to art school, studied for a little bit um, and mastered my photography. And instead of sticking it out and, and finishing and doing and following through art school, I ended up taking off and I ended up going inevitably to Milan, Italy. And I ended up working and I ended up uh, seeing the industry and the business from the street, so to speak, and seeing how it worked in Milan and how it went from textile to design to conception to design to, you know, the whole nine yards to marketing advertising and launching that that article of clothing and so that that just blew my mind and i worked as a photographer's assistant and we did photo shoots and worked for magazines and such and from there i ended up uh, getting picked up by john casablanca the Mm. very famous head of elite uh, model management. Um, he's the one that you know launched everybody from Cindy Crawford to Giselle to yeah, I mean, of all of them. The so biggest. what were you brought on there to do? He picked me up to come on as a scout 
and to be able to start scouting for their Paris, London, and Milan offices. And I was doing mm. deep model look of the year competition, and I would end up finding a lot of Americans to compete in the European elite model look of the year. That's the same competition Cindy Crawford was discovered at and Giselle Bunchen and blah, blah, blah. Did you stay in Europe or did you come back to the States for that? No, I was bouncing back and forth, uh, right and left. And then I ended up going, you know, getting done uh, being in Europe. And I ended up going to New York and I ended up working in New York and worked with all the different agencies in New York at one point in time. I think I've worked with every single one of them. IMG, Ford, you know, uh, all the big names, uh, Wilhelmina, Next, all the big box brand, you know, high fashion agency names. And I started to get a little bit bored in fashion, and I started to develop an interest in in film, in television, and motion picture. Because you know, my original background was film; it was just still life. Ironically, back then Utah was the hottest film market around. I mean, film productions were coming to Utah by the droves, and you know, the LDS Motion Picture Studios was exploding, and I mean. There were all these things that were happening in television and film. And I'm like, wow, that's strange. You know, uh, yeah. here I come all the way back to, to Utah. <laughs> and I opened up my own management company, a little, small, boutique, humble, little management company. And I ended up representing uh, a couple of girls that I found in the Utah market that ended up going pretty significant and pretty big. And pretty quick. A couple of a couple of quick notes in there because it's during this era that you and I uh, met, and I don't think we mentioned this, but the reason that we know each other is because you were my agent. <laughs> I was <laughs> yes, proudly I was. represented by by Eastman as a young uh, young comedian and and actor, and you represented models and actors. There were kind of two two divisions. Um, and somewhere, and I don't know when this is within this story, but somewhere in here, you got married. I did. I got married. Both of her parents, plastic surgeons in Beverly Hills. And long story short, she was also a cover model. Uh, so I went for all the things of the world uh, yeah. on that situation and scenario. And I'm not going to say at that point, you know, I did I, I didn't love her. I mean, obviously, I was attracted. Sure. Um, and she shot for covers of magazines, including the cover of Salt Lake City magazine. And long story short, she ended up, you know, saying, I'm pregnant with your kid. And uh, about seven months into it, I asked her to marry me uh, and we got married. And yeah. within a short year thereafter, I ended up having uh, another son with her. So I had two kids back to back pretty fast, pretty quick um, from that marriage. Unfortunately, it didn't turn out. Um, And without going into drastic details, it's a record book for expense, let alone monetarily, (laughs) but physically and emotionally what that uh, that termination of that relationship ended up causing and having. It was pretty traumatic for a lot of people. Um, a lot of court battles, a lot of situations, uh, going, for cus- going for custody, you know, 
a lot of unhealthiness uh, there um, it, it, in my behalf as well. You know, I'm not going to say it was it was all my ex-wives. It was, sure. you know, my behalf, my behaviors in my behalf as well. And at the at the time before you before your divorce, uh, I just feel like I need to say, because I think you're downplaying how powerful Eastman Agency was. It was awesome. I mean, you had the top of the top of the talent. And I will just point out something. I'm sure you don't remember this, but uh, one year at Sundance, the Utah Film Association uh, had some kind of banquet or party, and you and I ended up going. It was literally just you and me. We, we rolled up there, and... I just I remember. remember it was Stacy. It was like every mega celebrity you've ever met and all the top of Utah film. But then everyone from Hollywood was there. Dude, you had a lot of influence and you knew all the right people and you built an amazing agency. You got me so much work. And I know Michael Berkland and I talk about it all the time because we would not have met without you. And, and you should be just, I hope, just so proud of what you created and and what you did and what you did for Utah for film and modeling. I mean, you while there was a burgeoning film industry, in many ways, you were the one who put Utah on the map for modeling. I mean, that's just true. And I hear people say that all the time. Well, thank you. Uh, those are really, you know, kind things to say. I mean, you know, you never really... I guess, no, until after you're dead. And then you certainly don't, you know, on what kind of a <laughs> legacy uh, or what you may have left. And I loved hanging out, uh, hanging out at your office as long as I didn't have to be outside of your office because it was in the worst part of town. <laughs> the ghetto. So, gorgeous building in the worst part of town. <laughs> that's, that's how I roll, buddy. I, I just, yeah. you know, I went for aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was a cool building. Yeah, but you had to you had to go in you had to go in kind of guerrilla warfare. I'm not going to lie. Oh, you had to make sure there was nothing in your car that you wanted uh, to not get <laughs> stolen. Then you had to lock your doors and run into the office. And there were some nice true you, story. You and I'd hang story. out there till sometimes ten, eleven o'clock at night, and then we'd get out of there and. Once studying again, film man. and rehearsing yeah. and doing doing roles and so monologues fun. and then you'd uh. leave at 11 and fear for your life i was killing it and you're right we we were doing amazing things i became a sag franchised agent the only one in the state uh of utah uh that was registered as a screen actors guild franchised agent we were taking breakdowns from hollywood and la um, and casting and doing shows, I ended up launching as well as one of my clients, one of Utah's largest casting directors, Jeff Johnson. I started oh, that. Yeah, of course. Yep. Of I course. started him. I mean, we've ended up amassing 28 covers of Vogue in the fashion industry solely from girls from Utah. Isn't that awesome? Uh, and in fashion, that's the equivalent of of winning a gold medal in the Olympics. You can't do any better than to take a client <laughs> from Nephi, Lehigh, wherever, and Provo and get her the cover of Vogue. Yeah. So, yeah, we've, we, we did some damage there uh, in a good way. So tell us how you met your wife. Uh, current wife. So uh, I met her at a fashion convention. She was flown in by the 
the the big wig that was throwing this can, uh, massive fashion convention in um, this posh posh hotel uh, in Seattle, and uh, I mean like Lenny Kravitz was there. It was crazy, man. Um, you know all all kinds of people, and everybody's decked out right in jet black, thinking that we're all cooler than any of us actually aren't. There's this girl sitting over on the couch and she literally has blue jeans on. Her hair's in a ponytail and she's wearing <laughs> what must have been from Gap, a denim jacket and a white V-neck, again, Gap, a white V-neck uh, T-shirt with like these cool kind of hip cowboy boots on. And cool. if you want to talk about standing out like a sore thumb. Yeah. I mean, nothing have I had I ever seen in all my years at all the swank parties around the world. Have I seen anything like this? And she was drop dead gorgeous. Yeah. So, yeah, I walked up to her and started talking to her. And she thought because I can be pretty extravagant and I can be a little flamboyant and have been told, you know, what? I'm, well, my wife's joke is this. OK, I'm just going to throw myself under the bus. Yeah, okay? she says a lot of the time. I married the gay, the greatest gay straight man you could ever marry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Is that a compliment? I mean, oh, that you know, is so funny. Oh. I know, so anyway, well, she thought she she literally thought no harm, no foul. This guy's gay, like most people in the fashion industry in particular, and no harm, no foul. But I guess. You know who won because I got four kids with this girl. Oh, and for the record, she's from Idaho. BSU nice. homecoming queen from the Smurf turf. <laughs> and in high school, she was dating Jake Plummer, the NFL quarterback that ended up retiring with the Denver Broncos. No way. Yeah, oh, I stole Jake. I stole Jake Plummer's girlfriend, buddy. That's awesome. <laughs> Come to find out, she's dating this guy. I didn't know she was dating him, but she's dating this guy who flew all these people in. And I'm like, oh, go figure. You know, she's like your host. <laughs> yeah, she's my host, and I'm over here hitting on her. You know, <laughs> she thinks I'm gay. Um, you know, so no harm, no foul. And uh, long story short, the bizarre thing is, is she was breaking into television and film, mm. and she had a huge passion. She'd done modeling. She had a huge passion for television and film. And I was a SAG uh, agent. I went back to Utah, thought nothing more of her. I ended up talking to her the next day after the party. And she actually ended up handing me one of her headshots. And I was like, ah, so you're, you're interested in breaking in television or film? She's like, yeah. I'm like, are you a SAG actor right now? She's like, no, but I'm moving to New York. I got a job with Letterman Studios. Uh, David Letterman Studios, and I'm going to study television and film acting in New York, and I'm leaving in a couple weeks. So wow. I was like, oh, great. Well, if I see you around in the industry, I'll see you around. Nice to have met you, blah, 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 blah. I came back to my office in Salt Lake, and I took her headshot along with hundreds that I'd gotten over that weekend at this convention as an agent. And I took it and I threw it to my assistant and I'm like, go file all these in this huge photo vault that we had of actors and models and wannabes and people, 
you know, to break into the industry. And six months goes by. I'm working on Touch by an Angel. Kate Pregastis calls me. She asks for this person. I give it to my assistant, the breakdown of the character. And she goes into the photo vault and she pulls out her picture. <laughs> no way. <laughs> True story, brother. That she is pulls amazing. out her picture, slaps it down on my desk. And first thing that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, whatever, forget it, bypass. This girl was the girlfriend of this huge industry icon in the business. She's probably married to him by now. She said she was going to New York to work for Letterman, blah, 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 blah. Forget it. Find somebody else. We need to cast somebody else. She comes back. Uh, three hours later and says, I called her. She's still in Boise, Idaho. And she has an interest of coming in to read for this uh, part. I'm like, you're joking. (laughs) So I get on the phone with her, talk to her. Lo and behold, we fly her in. Kate Bregastis falls in love with her. Kate Bregastis hires her, but it's shooting like the week after the 4th of July, this particular scene. She doesn't know anybody in Utah. And so she comes in over the 4th of July and I'm like, you know what? I'm headed home to San Diego and why don't you come? And she's like, I don't think you know what kind of a girl I am. Or I, how did she say it? <laughs> I don't know what kind of a girl you think I am, but uh, you know, that's not, and I'm like, no, no, it's harmless. Long story short, this girl calls me out in every scenario possible, I mean, I literally, Sean, I had a pretty big ego. And <laughs> I literally said to her that I w- didn't pick her up at the airport when she flew in for the, for the job. I didn't pick her up at the airport. And I spaced it. And I sent my guys that worked for me to pick her up. They hit on her the whole time. Drove her nuts. And then I was like two hours late for the meeting. And so I felined (laughs) it past her and I went straight to my office, which was all in glass, like an idiot. Like she's (laughs) not going to sit and see me. And I go sit down and I face opposite of her because I had a computer screen on the backside. And I tell my assistant, "Send send her in. She comes in, she sits down. I don't even turn around, dude. Half of it, to be quite honest, is because I was so ashamed. I felt really bad, and I didn't know how to face it, okay? (laughs) To truth be told, my manhood out the window, she says, look, cut the crap. What can you do for me? Because you're wasting my time. And I literally spun around in my chair, and I said, do you know who you're talking to? (laughs) Oh, no way! Sounds so pompous and so arrogant. And she said, I don't care who I'm talking to. What can you do for me? That's all I want to know. I have a two o'clock flight out of here. I fell in love. And that second, my heart was pounding out of my chest halfway because I wanted to like bury her in the backyard. (laughs) The other half was, wow. Yeah. This girl called me on my junk, like straight up. Just was not going to have it. And that's what you needed. That's exactly what I needed, Sean. Oh, Stacy, that's rad. How long was it after that you started dating? Yeah, I fell in love. And one of the prerequisites is that I needed to leave Salt Lake. 
she didn't like Utah. She wasn't Mormon. Uh, she came from um, a very strong lineage in the Jewish uh, bloodline. Her grandmother, mm, yeah. there's three books written about her. Um, wow. Parts of Schindler's List is one. Um, mm. And then um, one of the movies that, that ended up, that she ended up being involved with and talking to Spielberg on. But that's her grandmother. Her grandmother escaped from the concentration camps in Nazi Germany when she was like wow. nine, ten years of age. Uh, and mm. the guards went to shoot her and they shot her in the leg as she climbed up on the back of uh, a truck full of dead bodies because she thought she saw her mother and climbed up on the, the back of the truck to see her, see if that was her mom. The guard saw her, shot her. And the big diesel engines, they couldn't hear the guard saying stop, and it pulled out of the gate. And anyway, she ended up tourniqueting her leg and the whole nine yards. I've seen the bullet hole, the wound. I wow. mean, it's crazy, dude. But What a heritage. Yeah, so she grew up Jewish. Yeah. And then she had converted to Christian, but holy roller. I mean, she became a Calvary Chapel. She was very anti yeah. Yeah, she was very anti the church. I mean, she actually jokes about it being the primary president here in Kona. Um, but she <laughs> jokes about it. She's like, we printed literatures on how how to save a Mormon. Crazy. So, but then you you guys obviously you start dating, you end up getting married, and then you left Utah again as your prerequisite. You weren't back in the church yet. Where'd you end up uh, moving to when you left Utah? Yeah. So I took off to San Diego. I mean, like I said, my wife, that's just how Jewish she is. Okay, <laughs> Strong woman from a grandmother and a mother that are amazing survivors yeah. uh, in their own sense. So did you move together to San Diego? I ended up going through a custody battle in Utah. I ended up going eight months without being able to see my two boys, oh, which for me, so they sorry. walked on water. It was horrific. It was one of the worst experiences uh, I've ever gone through in my life. Not being LDS, on top of that, uh, for me, drowned my sorrows. So I ended up going out. I ended up getting, unfortunately, three DUIs almost back to back. So earlier when I said I literally have done time in Utah, I meant it. I ended up doing uh, like 10 days in Salt Lake County jail um, because of three DUIs. I mean, and I'm blessed because I could have killed somebody. And two, I could have changed somebody else's life and family forever, let alone mine. And three, Mm. today, if you get three DUIs back to back, you go to the state pen. So was that a big wake-up call? It was. It was a huge, what you would think. Okay, I guess I should preface that by saying you would think. (laughs) But for my girlfriend at that time, which is my wife today, she was like more than a wake up call. She goes, we're pouring gas and we're going to throw a match on Utah. Right. So I ended up having to throw the hat and she's like, look, you want to stay together and you want to you want to work this thing out and you want to date me we're moving. And I said, great, let's go to San Diego. It's where all yeah, my family nice. is. It's where everybody's at. I'm a SAG, uh, Screen Actors Guild, uh, agent. I can work out of LA and commute between San Diego and LA and get on with, 
you know, one of the major casting uh, agencies or somewhere, somehow, some way within the fashion industry as well. I could have jumped on, you know, any at any office in Los Angeles. Yeah. So we ended up pulling the trigger and, and going to San Diego um, and ended up staying at my parents' house uh, in San Diego. Did you end up working in the industry then when you were in San I know that was the plan, but did it actually happen when you went down to San Diego? No. So this is the, this is another funny story. Uh, I was down and I was surfing uh, down at Wind and Sea uh, down in La Jolla. And there was a big surf agency uh, called Jet Set that was in San Diego. And uh, I knew the owner from within the action sports world, which is another huge passion of mine, wakeboarding, surfing, skating, sure snowboarding. Yeah. And so she was representing some really big surfers. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to jump on uh, board. And I only lasted one day. Uh, I went and I said, okay, I'm going to take off for lunch. And she's like, all right, I'll see you back in 45 minutes. And I was like, 45 minutes. Yeah. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I'll be back like in an hour and a half. And she's like, no, 45 minutes. That's all we do for lunch breaks. I I'm experiencing corporate, you know, I think she's joking. Shana comes to pick me up. She's like, how long do you have for lunch? I'm like, really? That that's really a thing. People say how long you have. <laughs> I'm like, you're joking, right? And she's like, no, how long? And she said 45 minutes, but don't worry about it. Anyway, we go down to La Jolla, sit on the rocks and watch the seals. It turns into an hour and 20 minutes. She freaks out. She's like, you got to go. I'm like, don't sweat it. So she comes, drives me back, drops me off. I come up nonchalant, smiling, laughing, everything. Here's the owner of this, this action sports firm. And she's glaring at me and she's all, do you know what time it is? I said, yeah, I, I totally thought you were kidding. She's like, well, I wasn't. And that will never happen again. And I said, you're right. Cause I quit one day there. Oh, one day, so dude, funny. not even a day, a half a day. I made it to <laughs> one, like one fifteen. Yeah. You made it through a partial day. Oh, that's half hilarious. A day. And so, so I said, funny. you know what, I'm going to just go and reorganize and I'm going to restructure a new company, a new agency for managing, marketing, and handling people. And I'm just going to take them from Southern Cal, from San Diego, and I'm going to funnel them all up to my big my big boys in Los Angeles. And I'm just going to handle everything from Mexico to San Clemente. So you ended up launching your own agency again. Yeah. Reopened and just started killing it, brother. I mean, killing it. Uh, and it was very, 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 very blessed. Ended up leaving my parents' house. We ended up getting an amazing condo right on the beach in Oceanside. And she was helping me and we were doing it together. That's and so great. Yeah, we were killing it. She all of a sudden was like, I want to take, I want to start taking the, the Mormon missionary discussions. And I'm okay. like, did that just shock you to no end? Dude, I'm like, the crap you say. <laughs> i'm like i've spent my whole life running from the church anyway she wanted to take the the missionary discussions because of my mom's example and because of my sister's example oh okay? that is so powerful man that's awesome and how they treated her and how they just loved her and they were so open to her and yet they still 
kept their their beliefs and their systems, but they didn't judge. So she took the missionary discussions back to back. I was, you know, anti. It's funny, they would come over and she couldn't meet with them alone because there was two elders and then her. Right. And so I would sit and smoke. I used to smoke like this. <laughs> I would smoke and I would sit and blow the cigarette smoke in their face like, <laughs> while they're talking and going through. This is when they did the flip chart thing and the cups and all that, you know, the discussions uh, one through seven or whatever it is. Yeah, and sure. So I'd sit and curse and I'd sit and blow smoke in their face and I'd sit and razz them. I mean, I was always ultimately cool, but yeah. you know, I really made it known that I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So what was Shana thinking at this time? So as you're, as you're, as you're fighting against it, she's diving in deep, brother. I'm like sitting here watching her. And I mean, she's just diving in deep. I mean, she's reading the bomb. She's reading the bomb. (laughs) I mean, she's opening the bomb and reading the bomb and, it was weird enough that there would even be a Book of Mormon in our in, in my apartment, let alone she's reading it. And so she'd yeah. sit and read it and read it and read it and read it. And I'd be like over there having a beer and, you know, looking at the waves and being like, you know, how am I going to slay somebody becoming famous again tomorrow? And being completely of the world. And here's this girl over there reading the Book of Mormon. So she ends up getting baptized. Were you still kind of in that mindset when when she got baptized? No, it actually, uh, probably about a month before that, she actually ended up having a, a coming to Jesus moment with me. And she said, you're done. Okay. You're finished. Once again, setting an ultimatum. That's what this girl I does. <laughs> I love she knows it. how to work me, man. And she oh, says, that's so great. she says, this is it. It's either you're coming with me or I'm leaving you. Wow. Literally. She's like, I'm done living together. That's living in sin. I know that, that, that that's not copacetic. That doesn't work. That doesn't jive. <laughs> and I'm like, you're screwing up our entire lives. The feng shui is off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and so I'm freaking out and I'm wanting to kill these elders thinking they've just jacked up my whole situation. Yeah. So here comes this one elder and he's cruising down the strand, which is like where they roller skate and they ride their beach bikes yeah, that separates sure. that separates the road from the ocean. And I'm playing in a two man volleyball tournament. My uh, guy isn't showing up and he's late. I'm going to have to forfeit this thing because I can't just play it by myself. And coming down the strand are these two pasty white elders, you know, and one of them is six, five, I mean, crazy height, you know, and they're wearing their white shirts and their ties and looking totally on the beach. Sure. uh, Like they're sticking out. Anyway, they come walking by me and I'm sitting there and I'm just getting more and more frustrated. And the one tall one's like, Hey, how are you doing? I'm like, look guys, my girlfriend's taking your thing. I grew up in the church. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Move along. I'm not really happy. Okay. Right now. I'm going to lose this volleyball match. Nice to see you. Hope you guys are well. Kick it. You know, get along. Yeah. See ya. And he's like, hey, what? dude, what's up, man? Your girlfriend's taking the missionary discussions? Well, so what's up with you? I'm like, and I'm obviously not. 
yeah. you know? And <laughs> so anyway, he and I end up saying, wait a second, do you know how to play volleyball? Cause you got mad height. He's like, yeah. I said, okay, I tell you what, No. I, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll sit, I'll sit down and listen to anything you want to say to me, anything you want to tell me, I'll give you an hour. Okay. If you end up, I'll, I'm going to run across the street, grab some shorts and a t-shirt. And I want you to play if you say you can play so that I don't have to forfeit this thing. And he's You're like, kidding. Oh he, no. And he's like, Oh man, I can't, I wish I could, but our mission president says we can't come on the sand. Well, I left the church when I was 14. I never heard anything about can't come on the sand. That was a righteous missionary though, man. But I'm going to tell you what, Sean, he knew exactly what I needed to hear because had he come on the sand, I would have listened to him because I would have been a man of my word, but I would have went in one ear and out the next. But it's, he said, yeah, I can't come on the sand. I'm like, what church on the planet of earth tells somebody that they can't come on the sand? He's like, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I can't even go out in that ocean. I'm like, you got to be here for how long and you can't go in the ocean? And so I'm sitting here thinking any church, any religion that tells you you can't come on the sand or in the ocean, I got to hear more about. I'm like, look, whatever, dude, I'll see you tomorrow. And you got me for like two hours. Stacy, that is such a cool story. <laughs> oh it's, my God. it's huge. It's life changing. Mind you, this kid's a hog farmer from the middle of Missouri. The furthest most thing from a high fashion person, actor, rock star, musician that I would ever associate with in my past life that I would ever associate with. Okay. Yeah. And here I am like snot cry balling with this kid and he ends up becoming <laughs> like my everything. And I ended uh, up, I ended up revering him and his, his testimony so intensely. I mean, it spoke to me and to my very core and my soul. And I was just like, I was blown away by this kid. This 19 year old kid just completely changed my, my entire thought process. So anyway, awesome? he pulls out at my wife's, my girlfriend's then's uh, baptism. He pulls out this snowflake looking thing and he unfolds it. And he's like, my mom made me this. It's called a doily. I'm like, <laughs> what in the world is a snowflake doily? You know? And it's like, it looks like it's made out of paper crochet, you know, like where yeah, you, sure. fold, you, you fold paper and then you cut I know it what a doily is. Do. Yeah. I just don't think I I've ever seen anyone under the age of 85 pull out a doily. Dude, <laughs> I'm telling you, right? I, I didn't even know that 85 year olds did it. I mean, now that uh, I'm reflecting, I remember seeing them on people's like nightstands yeah. that are 80, 85. Oh, that's so funny. So he pulls out this doily and he's crying and he's like, my mom gave this to me and told me that I should give this to the first people that I feel like that I should give this to them. And this is like a sacred thing in Missouri, you know, in the LDS pioneer coming to find out, you know, wow. release wow. society organization that they do or did and ends up giving her this doily. He was just out on his mission. He hadn't been out, but barely. And till this day, it sits on my wife's nightstand. So anyway, jumped in, man. Took a, it took a Jew to get me to become a Mormon. 
<laughs> I mean, didn't it all of us? But, you know, Dude, literally. Stacy, that has got to be the title of your book. A year later, we were sealed in the San Diego Temple. And, I mean, amazing things. When I got married the second time, I was, what, 30? Maybe 32? So I always had this infinity with the Polynesian, the Poly people. I mean, the Tongans here, they're my, they're my tribe. And... Uh, here in Hawaii. And so anyway, this Tahitian kid was in my high school and we ended up becoming best friends. Unfortunately, uh, we ended up partying uh, more than we did anything else in high school. And long story short, he ended up in prison. Mm. And I thought, you know, this kid's, you know, he's never going to make it. Anyway, what, 20, 30 years, me living and working and traveling around the world and making superstars and such and so forth. I am in San Diego. We go into the ceiling and we come out and we go getting ready to go into the celestial room. And it's my friend from high school. No. That went to prison, dude, right out of high school. You've got to be kidding. That is my best friend. I thought he died. I I literally had no idea whatever happened to this guy again. He's a temple worker in the San Diego temple on my ceiling day. I got goosebumps talking to you about it right now. So that happens at my ceiling. And since then, brother, it's been an incredible journey, man. For the last 20 years, I had another four kids that are everything to me. Yeah, uh, I ended up buying a ranch in Oregon, a massive ranch. <laughs> I ended up moving my my parents up from San Diego and my little sister, and it was like the Waltons, dude. We had the entire side of this mountain, wow, like it, in this vineyard. Like we had like thirty five acres, and it was paradise. It was incredible. I built a trampoline park in my backyard. You don't know how to do things small. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> And so So, it was just this incredible life for 15 years. And I ended up getting into an accident and uh, almost lost my hand. We had taken actually a trip. We took a trip from Oregon here to Hawaii, to the Big Island. And I was on the backside of the Big Island over on Akaka Falls. And if you've ever been there, there's this beautifully paved, brand new paved road that goes all the way up the mountainside to like this ridiculous 300 foot waterfall or whatever. Mm. And it's incredible. And I took and I brought my longboard, my skateboard with me. Yeah. And so I'm like talking to my wife and she brought hers and our kids were in the car with her sister. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to bomb this thing all the way down. And they're like, mm. no, that's pretty gnarly. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And she's like, well, I'm going to come with you for a little bit. So my wife's behind me on her longboard. I'm on a longboard. I'm clipping along at like 35, my sister-in-law tells me, because she's following in the car behind us. Wow, that's fast. And that I'm like cruising. Fast. And I go into speed. I hit some water. And I go into speed wobbles. Speed and the whole deck j- oh. just starts shaking. Anyway, I come off the front end shoot out everything out the end of my wrist, almost went into cardiac arrest, ended up staying in Hilo hospital for nine days in the ICU. 
And when I went under for surgery immediately, uh, the colonel uh, from the military uh, doctor said, if you wake up without a hand, I wasn't able to save it. And if you do, then I was, and it will barely be functional. And Whoa. I'm like, well, okay. So anyway, I woke up at the hand of the moral of that story, um, which I was kind of bummed out because I was like, I actually had dreams of having a hook. I was like, how cool <laughs> would that be? Stacy <laughs> hook. Oh, Stacy, what a wild story. Different moving parts, you know. I yeah, could you could clip in hands. all kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, like a Norwal sword. I could go do hot dogs at the barbecue. <laughs> a skewer, yeah. Yeah, a skewer. So, so I was actually kind of bummed that I had a hand, but anyway. That ended up happening, and I never in my life had done, touched in all of the drugs that I have consumed in Hollywood and in Europe and in the fashion industry, in all of the drinking and closing down clubs and bars and such and so forth, I never in my entire life got involved with pain meds. Uh, mm. You know, and this was before the big opiate, you know, crisis um, yeah. that is so prevalent today. This right. is before that. When they would still just prescribe whatever for the pain. Yeah. And I was getting Oxycontin. I was getting Loratab. I was getting, I mean, because I legitimately had a wound to where they almost amputated my wrist. It's, wow. all, it's all metal and everything now today. Come to find out. I tried to get off of them, Sean. I've never experienced an evil or I've never experienced dreams or I've never experienced any kind of a withdrawal that you could ever imagine in your life. In it your was wildest, that insidious. The, the, in your wildest dreams than getting oh. off of opiates. Jeez. I almost committed suicide. Um. I almost lost this wife and my four incredible kids. I went to hell as far as you can go to hell that you could imagine. And this is after I'd chosen to come back to the church. I mean, yeah. I, you know, jumped in and when I came back to the church, I came back heavy. You know, I was in, I was all in. I was, you know, any calling you'd give, do or whatever. Um and yet this still happened to me. Uh, it took it took me to the brink and more than on one occasion. It took yeah. me to that brink and that utter that despair yeah. and and racketing of, of one's soul. It was the worst thing I've ever experienced or had or gone through. So I have a I have a huge place in my heart for people, you know, yeah. that that have that. Yeah, my mind of literally feeling like I was going to die for like a month and a half, uh, like every day, every waking moment, minute, your mind, your thoughts change everything. Um, I worked through it and, and I made it through by the grace of God, my wife and my kids, my testimony that I leaned on the time on my knees when I was going through that withdrawal, the time being spent in the scriptures through my study and through my prayer and through my pondering and through 
pain and anguish and many tears. And that for me was it. I was like, I'm spending every last minute and waking day. You know, unfortunately, it's been a little scary. Uh, came to Hawaii um, and chose to leave Oregon and came to Hawaii. Um, it's just been, it's such an amazing healing place. And it's yeah. such, I mean, the mana is what they call it, uh, you know, of the Aina, which is land. Uh, mm. Malka and Makai, which is mountains and ocean together. And yeah. it's like, it's so powerful here. And the, our small little temple is so powerful. And the ward members are so incredible. And it's one of really the only islands I feel like that are left that truly day in and day out practices aloha. I mean, the aloha here is still really, yeah. really powerful. See, this has been so fun reconnecting. Uh, we are going to wrap things up with the question that I ask all of my guests. And I can't wait to hear your answer on that. And that question is, Stacy, what does being a member of the church mean to you? For me, it would be forgiveness. It would be to forgive. It would be to forgive everyone, love one another. Everybody's at this in a different struggle. Everybody's at this in a different situation and scenario in life. Some are there. Some aren't. We need to save as many sheep as we possibly feasibly can. Don't leave one behind that, you know, is needing and, and learning and wanting to, to know that truth and that gospel and forgiving, just forgiving people. Um, it does such huge good uh, for the entire world uh, within the gospel and outside of the gospel. So for being a, a, a member and what it's taught me and what it has let me do is to listen to kids' stories, being in the youth program and the stake and forgiving them, forgiving my own kids, forgiving myself, forgiving, you know, everybody within whatever situation and scenario they're at in life and loving them and loving them back uh, to his his fruit, you know, uh, which is eternal. Uh, for me, that's, that's everything moving forward, brother. That's, I, I, I don't know that I've heard it put so, so beautifully and eloquently. He is a husband. He is a father. He is a, like I said, an icon in the modeling world and he is changing that world for the good. And he's changing the world for the good. And I'm grateful to call him a friend. Stacy. thank you for coming on and sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean, man. And God bless you and your family. And my special thanks to my dear friend, Stacy Eastman. What an amazing man. Thank you for being so open and sharing your story, Stacy. This week in my Latter-day life, as Stacy and I had talked about... Uh, all those times with his agency, I got to thinking back to a very, very important gig he booked me once. I was a young comedian, and he had called me up, and he was uh, booking a, a comedian for a private event, which is a lot of what I've done in my comedy career. But I was very young, and I really wanted this 
wanted this gig. And so he had me come up to the agency and, and audition for this group. And when I got there, it was just me and one other comedian auditioning. And I had never met this man in my life. Uh, we were about the same age, and we each went in one at a time, and then they were deliberating with Stacy to decide who they would hire. And as this other comedian and I started talking, I found out his name was Michael Berkland. And for the next five or ten minutes, while this team was deliberating as to who they would hire, Michael made me laugh so hard I was in tears. He was one of the funniest men, if not the funniest man, I have ever met in my entire life. And we just really hit it off, and we played off of each other and had such timing that at some point, one of us uh, proposed that we should actually just try to do the gig together. And we went in and, and said, hey, if you guys don't want to choose, we'd be happy to perform together and just split the money. And that's what they chose. And for the next five nights, <laughs> Michael and I got together and actually wrote a one-hour show. And when we got on stage together, it was magic. And this led to us auditioning together. We got a bunch of commercials together through Stacy. Uh, we started doing comedy clubs together. And what's great about Michael is he's the funniest man I've ever met in my entire life, hands down. Nobody makes me laugh like Michael. And it was a problem when we used to audition together because we'd go on, on uh, stage together to audition and I would just start laughing because he just makes me laugh. But then we also have the greatest heart-to-hearts. He is a great soul, one of the best people I've ever met. And it all, be, it all came together because of this, this one audition that we met. And I don't believe these things happen by chance. I believe that God puts people in our lives at times that we need them. Now, Michael's life took some wild turns back and forth. And again, go back to episode, it's four or five, something like that. Find the Michael Berkland episode and listen to his story. He has been such a blessing in my life. And, and when I say I love Michael like a brother, I mean I love him like a brother. And God puts these people into our lives because we need them. And I've needed Michael so many times. We still do film projects together. We still write together. And every once in a while, we just text each other nonsense or tag each other in Facebook posts. And it's been such a blessing now. That's been more than 20 years that we've been in each other's lives. And it all came from, from Stacy putting us together. I believe that God has his hand in the details. That sometimes when we talk about how we have angels, sometimes we are talking about true angels on the other side. But other times there are angels in our lives. And at different times, there have been different people like Michael, like Stacy, who have been angels for me. Stacy booked me a lot of work at a time that I needed it. My family needed it. He really got me on my feet at the beginning of, uh, of that part of my career. I'm so grateful that God cares enough. And I hope that I can be that for some other people. I'm just so grateful for the friends in my life. What a blessing they've been. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you know someone who would enjoy the show, if you could share it with them, that would be great. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook and Instagram. And I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it. Just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>